Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. From your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world, presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. I am your host, KG Smooth, and and I am so glad to have this incredible organization back on the show. It's been, you know, some years since we've had a representative from AIDS Foundation Houston, and I've got the top dog. I've got the man that is the man. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Huckabee, the CEO of AIDS Foundation Houston. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Um, thank you all for, for being here. Um, like I said, it's been it's been years and a lot has happened. And and I hate to say this, but it's true. It seems as though HIV and AIDS and that awareness took a back seat when COVID hit. Yes, and and, and it was like people forgot that mm, this is still a thing and it is still around and you can still contract it. But there's also, you know, new medications and technologies, um, just all of the advancements um, from a medical and, and a technological standpoint um, when it comes to uh, this. So um, glad to have you here. Um, we get a lot of people that move to Houston. I don't know if you've noticed all of the transplants from L.A., yes, <laughs> New York, Chicago, yes, St. Right. Louis, like everybody's moving. It's the secret is out about Houston. Um, so just give us a brief history uh, on AIDS Foundation Houston and um, all of the good that you all do, because there's a plethora. I mean, you guys have you're a one stop shop over there. Well, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, we, we are celebrating our 40th year of service in the Houston community. So wow. the first case of HIV was identified in 1981. We were founded the very next year. And really, uh, we got our start from some folks at MD Anderson, some community leaders who were really concerned about what they were seeing, right? And 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 the the response. Where was the response, right? And so it was a it, it was born out of a concern about we have to care for people who are living with HIV. We have to provide resources and support, right? And 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 in those early days, and and COVID has been such a um, a reminder of what it was like in the early days mm. of HIV when when there weren't tests readily available, mm-hmm. and people didn't know if they were living with COVID or not living with COVID, and what that would do to them. You know, we we only have to think back a couple of years to remember what that felt like with COVID. Well, in the 1980s, that's exactly what it was like with HIV. It was it was very scary. Uh, for so many people in the community. And so AIDS Foundation Houston was born out of that passion for we've got to do something to support those impacted by HIV. And um, sad enough to say, still to this day, even 40 years later, John, um, people still don't know about how you can contract HIV. And and what it is and what it does to your 
uh, immune system. Could you break that down sure. for the um, for the audience real quick? Kind of a you know HIV one hundred and one for dummies or something. Sure. The primary uh, mode of acquiring HIV is sexual transmission. Mm-hmm. HIV is a virus, the human immunodeficiency virus. Uh, once it enters the body, uh, we have not yet in all these years found a way to totally clear it, right? So we don't have a cure for HIV, right? So uh, and uh, so anybody who is sexually active mm-hmm. should know their HIV status, right? They should receive a test. And, and now testing has come such a long way. We can do a test on site at our clinic and you'll know in minutes, right, whether or not you're living with HIV. This is really important today because HIV can be contained. Although we haven't found a way to cure it yet, the medicines that we have today that we didn't have when I started this work all those years ago, the medicines we have today can be taken in a once daily pill Mm -hmm. or a once every other month injectable highly, highly effective, very tolerable and safe medications that are capable of taking the viral load in a person's body and reducing it so low that it cannot be detected on a standard HIV test. Now, this is important for two reasons. One, a person living with HIV who has an undetectable viral load, that's what we call it, their immune system is not going to be damaged. So they're not going to be susceptible to all of those infections that we saw in the early years of the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. That's the good news, is that a person can live a normal, healthy life with a chronic, manageable disease today that they didn't have, we didn't have 40 years ago. The other benefit is that when a person achieves that viral suppression at the undetectable level, they are incapable of transferring HIV through sex. So it becomes a form of prevention where being treated for HIV actually becomes a form of prevention, which is great for the community, great for everyone. And that is great. I, um, I'm wondering, and I'm sure somebody listening is saying, okay, so uh, I can take these medications. It will get my viral load down to where it's not even detectable. But yet, there's still no cure. So one would ask, right. how can you get it so low that it's non-detectable, you cannot uh, transmit it to someone else, but yet it's still sitting dormant in your body, if, if, you, if you will. Um, and medical scientists can't figure out how to just eradicate the virus? Yeah, I mean, we're just... We're just not there yet. So, so HIV is, is a, a particular kind of virus that, that there are reservoirs in the body mm-hmm. where it resides that the current medications are not yet capable of reaching, right? And so it just, we can keep it at bay, which we want to do, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely want to do. Um, but we're not just yet able um, to clear it completely, like you see with hepatitis C, for example, for mm-hmm. a long, long time, we could not cure hepatitis C. Now, finally, with the latest medications, the regimens we have, a person is actually capable of clearing the virus. That's where we want to get to with HIV. Hopefully, the, the next drugs that come out, you know, that's our hope. We'll do that. It's the same thing with a vaccine. We don't yet have a vaccine 
that that a person could take a shot once a year or once every so many years and that prevents them from acquiring HIV. But we do have this wonderful medication called PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis, which actually has an efficacy rate of up to 99% protection if it's taken every day. Oh, yeah. We've seen the prep commercials right. while watching the games and right. TV yeah. and, and, and everything. Yeah. And, and um, that that is great. And it's also great that now um, those who are living with HIV, um, that the option of getting this um, bi-monthly injection yes. uh, is now available. I remember having you all on way back in... 2014 and um the um the representative and, and there was a doctor along it her name escapes me but she was talking about how they wanted to start or they, they were trying out you know doing mm -hmm. trials of the injection and she was like you know it's going to be some years before uh this is available but now to hear it's you here. john say that like it yeah it is here yeah. and it is ready and it is available yes would and I don't know if you know this, but I'll ask the question anyway. Would one's insurance cover that injection? Yes. So you know the the insurance uh, industry, right, is obviously trying to keep up with the research and the product development, right, uh, that comes out around HIV medications. Certainly, for a person who is insured, they should be able to request either the current. Um, oral dosage of HIV medication or the bimonthly injectable that should be covered by their insurance for persons who are not insured. Uh, you know, they would have in that point to work with the work with their pharmacy, work with their healthcare provider to see what kind of compassionate care programs might be available from the manufacturer of the various drugs. So one of the things we do at AFH, although we don't provide the healthcare directly, right. We link people who need care into the various resources in the community, Legacy Community Health, St. Hope Foundation, Avenue 360, Harris Health, all of these wonderful health care providers that can help to manage the insurance issues or if they don't have insurance, the payment for those uh, medications. Indeed. You're listening to the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. We're talking to the CEO of AIDS Foundation Houston, John Huckabee. And um, Friday was World AIDS Day and the World's AIDS Day luncheon, um, which I miss. <laughs> I miss going to because the food is always uh, amazing. And yes. the information yeah. that is given, just the update on um, the advances of uh, medicine and technology, as I mentioned earlier, it's always good to get those progress reports and to just hear of the great stories of people's triumphs and and you know it it used to be a death sentence right. and yeah. now you know people are living 40 years yes long healthy lives yeah uh, living with hiv you know we have about thirty thousand houstonians right now mm -hmm. who are living with hiv the challenge is that one in five of them don't yet know mm. that they're living with HIV. And so this is one of the things that is so that we're so passionate about is making sure that testing is free, making sure that it's available. People can get tested in our offices. People can get tested out in the community. We're out at the bars. We're out in the community, the events, because we want everyone to have an opportunity to know their HIV status 
so that if they're not living with HIV, they can take steps to prevent it. Mm -hmm. If they are living with HIV, they can take steps to live their best healthy life. Yeah. Um, and there are, <laughs> there are some, and I've actually heard this conversation, which was so wild to me. It was some young folks. And um, I think the young girl said, well, just go ahead and give it to me. Like, I just want to go ahead and catch it. So that way I don't have to worry about uh, anything else. And I could just be as sexually free as I want to. And I was thinking to myself, like, what kind of thinking is that? Because you can just pass it on to someone else knowingly or unknowingly. I, I, I thought that ideology was, I can't even think of an adjective to, to describe how it was. It was just wild. It was, Asinine. <laughs> well, I think I think what you're what you're hitting on is something very important. Actually, it, we know that one in four new HIV case diagnoses are in persons ages thirteen to twenty-four. Mm. One in four. Now, so what does that mean? When I think back to when I began this work in 1991, uh, we heard that similar sentiment among people who were so tired of being afraid and so and so wearied by the constant threat of acquiring HIV. I mean, people were just trying to live their lives, to love who they loved, right? Mm -hmm. And yet there was this constant fear. And and I can understand, I can relate to that young person who might feel, you know, I'm just tired of trying to fight this or mm -hmm. to worry about it. But the good news is today that with PrEP, if someone is sexually active, right, mm -hmm. they can be on PrEP and not have to worry about acquiring HIV, right? right? Now, PrEP does not prevent other sexually transmitted infections. So we still recommend condom use and all the other prevention methods, right? Sure. But when it comes to HIV, PrEP is an option that we didn't have 40 years ago that people really should look into because PrEP is available and affordable for those who want it. I remember growing up, um, you know, hearing about it and what stood out most to me about it was the these cocktails that um, people would have to take, mm -hmm. you know, in the medication. And it would be like a gang of pills that yeah. they would have to take in order to um, stay healthy. I remember a friend of my mother's um, who was HIV positive and he was on his medication. I noticed how, um, you know, the top part of him was, you know, very muscular, but then he had, you know, like skinny legs. And I remember him having that conversation with my mom and saying like, you know, it was due to the medication. I mean, he's still alive and now, you know, everything is, um, is good with him. So, now with these medications, I mean, to hear you say that they can take one pill when I remember a time where a guy is taking like 10, yeah, you know, it that's nothing to scoff at. And it's hard to manage that many pills, right? You, kind I of couldn't regimen, imagine. Right. Even back then with the side effects. So today, yes, it's much, much more simplified. Talk about all of the other services that you all offer at right. AIDS Foundation Houston. I mean, from what I remember, and I don't, and I don't know if, if things have changed, you all had a pantry, you all had things yes. where people could come and, and get some clothing if needed, like just all of these other um, services that you offer. Can you just run down with everything that you do? Because you all do so much. Sure. Outreach, community education, 
reaching out at 100 Texas prisons and state jails, doing peer education oh, with wow, those who are incarcerated, uh, helping them to teach their peers about HIV prevention and sexual violence prevention behind the walls, discharge planning from Texas Department of Criminal Justice facilities, eight supportive housing programs for people living with or vulnerable to HIV. Uh, we do a summer camp every year for children living with HIV just to give them a week to be a kid, you know, even as they're managing this chronic illness, right? <sighs> the Stone Soup Food Pantry. We have a wonderful prep program for uh, people who want prep. It's called Hey Mister. Mm -hmm. It's a teleprep model where you receive your test kit at home, you prick your finger, you send it off. You have a video consult with your doc, and if you're indicated for PrEP, PrEP gets shipped to your home. So it's all done out of the privacy and convenience of your own home. HeyMister.com, Mr. M-I-S-T-R. So it's all those kinds of things that we're doing to help people, one, to know their status, mm -hmm. and two, to make sure that they have access to the care that they need, regardless of the result. Yeah, I remember one of the um, themes one year, uh, was getting to zero, yeah. Getting to zero, uh, zero new uh, infections, and then another year, um, the theme was uh, something with stigma, changing or erasing the stigma, right. or, or 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 something to that. In your opinion, how are we on that on with the stigma part? Because it still has this negative connotation to it because. The mainstream media back in the day um, made it seem like only a gay man could get this disease. When in turn, you know, we we knew that it it does not um, discriminate. And it's odd how the bad rap that HIV gets with you know not having a cure and um, uh, its transmissibility and all of that. But the same can be said for HPV. True. And so it's like they're both the same, but one gets a bad rap and the other one barely gets mentioned when they both are the same in a sense. You know, it, it's, it's true. Stigma is still very, very much prevalent, especially in this part of the country. You have, um, you have family and society. You have, um, you know, faith-based communities you know that may not um that may not be as comfortable having these conversations there's obviously the politics of the region uh so stigma is very still very much prevalent i'll say that it's not as prevalent among gay white men as it was 40 years ago but here's the reality is that hiv is hitting our communities of color mm -hmm. in far disproportionate numbers 47% of all Houstonians living with HIV are African-American. 39% are Hispanic. So four out of five people living with HIV are in communities of color, right? So we have to look deeper into why is it that our communities of color are not accessing PrEP at the same rate as our white men are accessing PrEP, right? What do we need to do differently to reach all communities? Because the only way we're going to end HIV is if we end it for everyone. Right. Everybody's got to have equal access to care, right? right? And yet we know that there is still reluctance and fear 
to have conversations with our faith leaders about this. There's still reluctance to have conversations even with our medical providers, right? Yeah. To say, look, I to, to say to my doctor or my healthcare practitioner, I need information about HIV. I need it, I need to be tested for HIV, right? In some spaces and places, it's not as comfortable as it is for other folks to have those conversations. And what we need to do, and this is this is why we so appreciate you, is because you help us to get the message out to the community that have those conversations. We say, love yourself, know your status. Yeah. That you're worthy of knowing your status because once you know your status, you can take action. And, and, and if you love yourself, you would want to know right. your, your yeah. status. Any, any, anything else the community needs to know? I can't believe this 20 minutes flew by. Um, what else do people need to know before we get out of here, John? Well, we just thank the community for your continued support over all these years. If you want to learn more about us, about what we do, the programs and services, look us up online at afhouston.org. And they have a link to the Hey Mister program if you're interested in prep or any of the services. Of course, we welcome all gifts and donations uh, because that's what helps us to continue the work that we do in the community. Indeed. John Huckabee, CEO of AIDS Foundation Houston. So good to finally meet and see you in person. I I appreciate your time and you you. sharing your scholarship on this important issue. Thank you. And to those listening to the podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. From your local Houston BMW Center studios, welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth, and on the line, I am joined by the CEO at the Ronald McDonald House, Houston, Christina Vitrano. Did I say that right, or did I just butcher Uh it? Yes. No, you did perfect. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, and, and welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, yeah. You guys, uh, you you guys have done great things, not only in the city of Houston, but just the, throughout the nation and the world for decades. Um, I have a personal uh, relationship and connection to the Ronald McDonald House. Uh, so, when I was five years old, I had uh, open heart surgery. And um, I'm from Dayton, Ohio, so I had open-heart surgery. Uh, The procedure was done at the uh, Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Uh And across the street from the Cincinnati Children's Hospital was the Ronald McDonald House. And that is where my mother stayed throughout the duration of uh, my surgery and recovery of being at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Um, And so uh, she stayed there. And then I remember, you know, during the recovery time when, like, some of the other... um, kids um, who had surgery or was sick or whatever, how uh, Ronald McDonald would come over and, you know, he would play with us and read to us and, you know, all kind of things make, um, make uh, balloon animals and and, and figures and whatnot. And so that's just a uh, young, young childhood memory uh, that sticks in my head. I mean, not because, uh, you know, I went through a Kind of well, it wasn't a it wasn't a traumatizing situation, but or at least now that I think back on it, maybe it was traumatizing for me then, being five years old. But yeah, back on it, you know, I, I handled it pretty well. But I remember my mom talking about just how great um, they took care of her and was attentive to her as she was staying there. And um, and ever since then, I've just had an affinity for the uh, Ronald McDonald House. That's great. You know, I mean it. 
You know, Audrey Evans uh, was the original founder of Ron McDonald House in Philadelphia, and her philosophy was that when there's a sick child, there's a sick family. And so um, that's why we, we work hard at Ron McDonald House to wrap our arms around the whole family and to think about housing and building community and uh, providing food and shuttle services and um, laundry services, just whatever we can do to take pressure off of, like, your mom uh, when she was doing what she could to support you. We want to do everything we can support her so that she can completely focus on her kiddo. Absolutely. And um, according to her, you guys did just that. Um, can you tell us the history about the Ronald McDonald House? Like, how how did it even, you know, come about? Because when I had my surgery, that was way back, you know, in the early 80s. Um, uh-huh. And so how long has the Ronald McDonald House been around? And if you know, what was the um, inspiration to uh, create such a space? Well, it, it originally started uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, that, was the, that was the very first house. And it was because one of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, his daughter uh, was sick with leukemia. And when she was going through treatment, um, he asked, you know, like, you know, she was doing well. She was she was going to get through her um, treatment, but who he was who was treating his daughter was Dr. Audrey Evans, and he wanted to know what he could do to help. And so, what she observed was that there were lots of families that were sleeping in their cars, uh, sleeping in hallways at the hospital. They just didn't have a place to stay where they could be near their kid. You know, when you've got a, a child who's seriously ill and they're in ICU or they're in NICU, you just, you don't, it, you know, even being five miles away can feel like you're on the other side of the world. And so she asked if, if he could help uh, build a place, you know, that, that families could stay that would be near the hospital. Wow. And, um, so he did. They did a, a lot of fundraisers. The Philadelphia Eagles were completely behind him, you know, to do that. And so that first house opened uh, in 1974. And at that time, it was a house. It wasn't necessarily quite yet the Ronald McDonald house, but McDonald's was involved, and they gave a, a, a lot of money in order to help get the house started. And so over time, uh, just kind of quickly after, I think Chicago was the next house, and Houston was uh, right behind. So we opened ours uh, in 1981, and same idea. You know, we had uh, three founders. We had uh, Liz Kelly, uh, Dr. Don Fernbach, and Don Mullins. And Don Mullins and Liz Kelly both had kids that were going through uh, cancer treatment. And they said the same thing to Dr. Fernbach, what can we do to help? You're helping our kiddos, what can we do to help? And, you know, he also said the same thing, that uh, I just, I'm seeing families, they're sleeping in hallways, they're sleeping in their cars. So they went and visited 
some of these other houses that had already been built and then worked, brought families together that had been treated at Texas Children's Hospital, asked them if they were interested in this concept. And so the original house was built um, on La Concha. We're on Holcomb Boulevard now, but it was originally a 20-bedroom house that was built on La Concha, and they built that one to look more like an um, a office building in case the concept didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But, of course, there was a huge need. It certainly worked out. They did a great job with fundraising. And so then uh, from the 20-bedroom house, it was identified because we will, you know, we regularly have a, a waiting list. You know, being the Ronald McDonald House that's supporting the, the largest medical center in the world, there's certainly a lot of need. And so um, they were then able to move to build the 50-bedroom house. And then about five years ago, it was expanded to be a 70-bedroom home. Um, so in addition to what we have here um, at, on Holcomb Boulevard, we then also have a house, uh, a 20-bedroom, 19-bedroom house at Texas Children's Hospital, a 20-bedroom house inside uh, Children's Memorial Herman, and then we also have um, two bedrooms available uh, at MD Anderson, as well as um, a total of 15 respite rooms uh, where we also stock food that families are able to just go and get a little piece, um, get a cup of coffee, get a snack, and just kind of gain their thoughts, you know, depending on, on, on what's going on with their kiddo. Nice. How did you get involved uh, with the Ronald McDonald House? So I've, I've been doing not-for-profit all, all my life. Um, I was in the Peace Corps uh, in Mongolia right out of college and then um, came back and I worked at the American Red Cross uh, out of Washington, D.C. for 14 years and then had the opportunity to run two other not-for-profits here in Houston. And then about two years ago during the pandemic, um, I was re- recruited here uh, to come to Ron McDonald House. And it's been just, one, such an honor to be a part of this organization. And it's also been a role that's allowed me to really kind of pull from all of my past experiences, uh, from disaster planning to Food Insecurity, which was another organization I ran that was focused on children's uh, food insecurity. And then I also ran another organization that was uh, focused on health care support. And so to be able to bring all of those pieces together to come to Ronald McDonald House has been really an amazing opportunity to, to get to be alongside these families uh, during a very, very difficult journey. Indeed. You're listening to the Public Affairs Podcast. We're talking to the Chief Executive Officer of the Ronald McDonald House, Houston, Christina Vetrano. Um, You all have a great event. Happened on Saturday, uh, the 3rd, the 13th annual Trafigura Run for the House. Did I say that right? Trafigura. Uh, Trafigura. Trafigura Run Uh for uh, the House. Um, uh-huh. I'm not familiar uh, with this particular foundation uh, or the run. Can you um, get us all uh, updated on that? Sure. Yeah. The um, the traffic gear run. This will actually be our our 13th annual uh, traffic gear run, and it was started. Uh, we have a a gentleman who's just actually about ready to start to join our board, um, Christian Diaz. 
he really wanted to find a way to give back. He he works at Trafagira, and uh, his daughter uh, was was very ill and needed to be uh, treated at Texas Children's Hospital. And I just saw him actually uh, last night. He was here with a group from Trafagira to to serve a dinner to the families. And he said then, you know, that um, being able to stay at the ho- at the house inside Texas Children's Hospital when his his daughter was so ill was life changing for him because it allowed him to be nearby and to to be able to ask doctors questions when rounds were coming versus having to to drive back up um, to the woodlands. And so uh, he wanted to be able to say thank you. And so worked with Trafagira to help us think up some t- some sort of fundraising event that could give back to Ron McDonald House um, year after year. And we're so appreciative for what they do. So this year they are, um, they're matching, they mat- they're matching up to $185,000 um, of, of what we raise. Uh, we're already total, including that, have raised uh, $530,000 oh, wow. um, towards the run. Uh, we'll have hundreds of people. It's a very family-oriented race. There's a 5K and a 10K. Um, Mogi, our house dog, will be there. The Ronald McDonald um, shoe car will be there. It's a, It's a very festive time. It's super fun, and it's a holiday-themed um, event uh, to just kind of kick off the month of December. Nice. So do you all um, have a kids' run as well, or do the kids just participate yes, in the regular run? Yes. Everyone just participates in the regular run, so it's kids, it's parents, it's animals. Folks are on wheels, they're walking, they're running. It's just an opportunity for, for everyone uh, to be involved. Yeah. How were you all um, during the pandemic? Um, how were things going for the Ronald McDonald House Houston during that time? Because what you know, what a wild and crazy time, and a lot of you know organizations had you know kind of shut down and didn't see as much traffic coming through. And then for some, there was a ramp up in uh, participations in said organization and the services that they have. How did you all um, pan out through the pandemic? So we never stopped serving the families. Um, you know, we we were a, a full house when the pandemic started, and then uh, we weren't for a period of time ever to. We weren't for about a few months not able to take new families, but for all the families that we did have, we continued to support them and shuttle them back and forth and feed them. Um, while their their kids were getting uh, getting their treatment, and then we continued to support families um, in the houses as well. Yeah. It certainly became a little more challenging because we could not utilize volunteers. We had to really, and we are very dependent on volunteers to do the work that we do. So it was a, a lot on the staff to take over all the volunteer roles to continue to serve the families, but that is. That's what we do. We're here. I mean, we want to be a part of that journey and whatever it took to support them uh, during that time. Uh, we absolutely did. Uh, through that transition, though, we've certainly lost some of the, our volunteers only because of, you know, life, life's changed for folks. You know, yeah. after a couple of years, people have moved away or, 
Maybe um, they're just in a different life stage. So we, we certainly are continuing to promote that we need more volunteers, especially in our hospital programs. Um, so I would do a call out that if anyone is interested um, in volunteering, you know, please look up Ronald McDonald House Houston, and we'd love to have folks apply. And, um, you know, we have various shifts and different sorts of activities, like working with the families around uh, the family art activities that we do in the evenings. There's, uh, we need help stocking the respite rooms I was talking about in our, in our hospitals. Um, we need help just, you know, talking and greeting the families and, and checking on them and seeing what we can, you know, what we can do to help them. So we certainly are still in a ramp up for more volunteers. Yeah, you you took my next question right out of my brain, uh, <laughs> mentioning uh, that. So um, give the website one more time where they can go to sign up to volunteer. So the website, let me just, I'm going to get you the right, the exact. Yeah, for sure. Because the, the, the Ronald McDonald House, listen, I, I know a lot of you have a lot of time on your hands, maybe even this holiday season. This is the season of giving. So um, this could be another way of you to give back by being a volunteer for the Ronald McDonald House Houston. Yeah, so yeah. If you, I just wanted to see what the exact URL was here. So it's rmhhouston.org. rmhhouston.org. That's rmhhouston.org. Okay, one more time. rmhhouston.org. Indeed. Uh, anything else that the people need to know um, about the Ronald McDonald House, Houston? We are, we are in, you know, in our December month at this point, so this is a, a big holiday time for us. So we're, we're still uh, looking for toy drives. If, if folks had an opportunity to collect um, unwrapped uh, brand new toys. We are certainly in need of that, especially um, items that are more targeted towards teens. Um, our Holcomb House facility is uh, located at 1907 Holcomb Boulevard, um, and that is where we take drop-offs. Uh, really, you know, during the nine to five time frame, Monday through Friday. But if anyone is feeling compelled, uh, I can tell you that is always a need for us. Um, we do whatever we can to collect as many uh, toy items as we can this time of year because we also um, use toys uh, throughout the year. So when families check in um, at our facilities, we here at Holcomb House, we'll have families check in and go pick out a toy in a, in a closet area that we have. Um, and then we certainly just use those for entertainment throughout the year. So there's never a concern that if we raise, if we, if we gather too many toys, we never can gather too many toys because we use them throughout the entire year. And so they become a, a, an inventory for us that we're able to, to utilize for the families. Chris. And then also I would just encourage folks, um, you know, we certainly are always looking for uh, financial donations uh, you know, the families that, that come here and stay with us, uh, it is all, all of our services are free of charge for our families. So food and accommodations and the shuttle service and the activities that we organize. Um, and so all of that, we certainly, you know, need funding in order to, to provide the services to the families that we do. So also at our website, there's an opportunity to donate. And if, if folks are compelled to do that, we, we are very appreciative of that as well. 
Christina Vetrano, CEO of Ronald McDonald House Houston. Um, thank you so much for your time and um, just getting people more familiar with the Ronald McDonald House of Houston. And um, w- will you be running any on Saturday? I will be there giving out the awards <laughs> and uh, kicking everyone off at the, at the starting line. For sure. So I'll be there all morning. Well, we'll see you down at Sam Houston Park um, for for the uh, for the run. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. And to everyone listening to the podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston, I'm KG Smooth, and we will see you next week.